to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at His right hand stand one who is my Savior. I take Him at His word and
God we serve. Will you pray with me? Oh, dear Lord, no matter what trials await us tomorrow, may we never forget the blessings you have shown us. <laughs> Help us cling to you as our anchor. Help us remember your steadfast love and faithfulness for us in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. Good to be here and worship with you. I'm sharing a series of sermons on the doctrine of mankind. What Christians believe about people. What does the Bible say is the truth about people? And in this four-part sermon series, we're in week three. Let me review the first two with you. Week one, we learned that the Bible says that all people are created in the image of God. Every person is valuable, special, to be respected and sacred. All of human life is sacred. The unborn, the old people, disabled people, 
those of different races, no matter what our differences, all life is valuable. Second week, we learned that God created all people as boys or girls, and that gender is a good gift of a sovereign God. Today, week three, I want to share with you a third basic fundamental truth about people. The Bible tells us that all people are sinners. Now, the concept and even the word of sin is somewhat disappearing in our American culture. In 1973, several years ago now, Carl Menninger, a psychiatrist, wrote a book by the title, Whatever Became of Sin? And in this book, this Christian psychiatrist lamented that in his profession, in psychiatry and counseling, the idea of of wrong actions for which you ought to seek to change was disappearing and that we were explaining what had been characterized sin by other terms, by isms, by diseases, and we're losing personal responsibility. Carl Jung, who was a, a pioneer in, in psychiatry, his, one of his disciples wrote a book uh, reflecting that theory entitled, I'm okay, you're okay. We're all just okay. And so if we're all just okay, we don't need to change We're either victims or it's the society's fault, and we lose that personal responsibility. And so today in modern counseling, if you go to even Christian counseling, you're rarely going to hear somebody talk to you about guilt and sin and repentance because we uh, explain it in some other terms than our own personal responsibility. And so the basic question is, are, people ba- are we basically bad or are we basically good? Now, we have seen that we're all created in the image of God. We all have value, but in our moral condition, are we basically good or basically bad? This year, two young adults, both age 29, uh, Jay Austin and Lauren uh, Gogan. Uh, Jay Austin worked for uh, uh, HUD, Department of Housing and Urban Development, uh, Lauren worked at Georgetown. They quit their jobs and decided to spend a year traveling around the world to show that people are basically kind. They chronicled it on Instagram, and here's what they said. They say people are bad. We're not buying it. People are basically kind. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans. And so increasing view, evil is just a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of human beings. Unfortunately, on July 29th, when they're in this around the world to prove that people are kind, they were cycling in Tajikistan near the border with Afghanistan, ISIS territory that they'd been warned was dangerous. A car rammed into their bicycles, men jumped out and stabbed them to death and put an end to their year-long quest to prove that evil is a make-believe concept and that people are basically kind. Even in the church, uh, we are losing the idea and the word sin. Joel Osteen is the most listened-to preacher in America, and he never uses the word sin. In an interview with Larry King, he said, I just don't ever think about it. I think that people basically know that they've done some things that are wrong and said, I want to talk about it. But the Bible uses the word sin. I looked it up in a concordance this week, 995 times. 995 times the word sin, sinful, or sinning is going to occur. If the Bible talks about something 
a thousand times, that's not counting the words like transgression and rebel over a hundred times and, and trespass and so forth, don't you think we at least ought to have some awareness of it? The Bible talks about it over a thousand times. We can't just throw rocks at Joel Osteen because when was the last time that we, in a connection group or here, knelt and confessed our sins? Do we do that much anymore? When was the last time you saw somebody weeping about their sin? We're all sort of losing that. And yet history tells us that the major revivals that have taken in a place in our society have all included some confession and repentance of sin. So let's look at what the Bible says because the Bible, I'm saying, takes a different view than our society is taking today. The Bible says... That we're all sinners. How did this start? Let's go back to Genesis. Every, every week as we've been looking at what the Bible says about people, our foundational books, the book of Genesis. And so we read in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So if God saw everything he made and it was very good, then what happened to our world that now there are people who will stab cyclists to death when they're riding through your country? Well, in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 16 and 17, It says, and the Lord put a a tree in the garden of Eden, and he commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God gave a choice there. Now you may say, well, why did God have to do that? This is the root of all the problem. Why didn't God just not put that tree in the garden, and we'd all be leaving and eating still today? Well, To answer that question, let me ask you guys, if you're married, when you got married, did you ask your wife if she wanted to marry you, or did you just kidnap her? Why didn't you just kidnap her and do away with that? Because if there's going to be love, there has to be a personal choice, right? If there's going to be a love relationship, it has to be unforced, it has to have an opportunity. And so God, desiring a love relationship with human beings, gave us a choice so that we're not robots, we're not forced to love him. And that tree gives us the choice. So inherent in a love relationship is the choice not to love. And so it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so this is the devil, the Satan. There is a personal force of evil uh, in our world. Spiritual force we call the devil. The Bible identifies the serpent. The devil here, I believe, is speaking through one of God's creatures. The serpent was an actual creature of God. And the devil speaks through a snake, a creature of God. And so what we're looking at here is the fall of humans. And so we don't know fully the origin of evil, but there was a fall of angels sometime before the fall of humans. We don't know much about that. But here, by this time, there is a force of evil in the created world and the devil what does he do he questions God that's what the devil will do in your life he'll question the word of God is God really did God say that and then he will contradict God verse 4 he said you'll not certainly die the serpent said the woman 
He con- he'll contradict. And so many people today are living contradictory to God because the devil has told them that. And verse 5, he'll present an alternative reality. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the devil will present to you another kind of life, different from obedience to God and following him, that he will present to you as a better alternative, an alternate reality. And you will think that if I live my way in rebellion against God, this is a better reality than what God presents. And so Adam and Eve disobeyed God, did what he had said not to do, they sinned. And here's the first sin, we call it the fall of mankind. Here's the origin of our sin problem. And the results were immediate. The immediate result of sin is a broken relationship with God. In verse 8, it says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see, uh, the the immediate result of sin is that alienation, that broken relationship with God. And then it breaks other relationships, and God asks them, What's happened here? He knows, but he asks them and and says in verse 12, the man said, the woman that you put here, she gave me some fruit to the tree and I ate it. Do you hear what's already happened now? First, the relationship with God has been broken and now the relationship between people, the most intimate of relationships between husband and wife and she's blaming him and and blaming God and it's just already a mess, isn't it? And and now here we are and we're alienated from God because we thought we knew better than him. We've gone our own way and we've got all kind of broken relationships in nations and in individuals and in families. And the results of this continued so that our whole world is broken. There's a curse. It says in verse 17 um, of Genesis 3, um, he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. And here's the ultimate result of sin is death has entered the world. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you'll return. And so since this historical event, I believe that there's an Adam and an Eve, a real people whom God gave this choice, and they rebelled against God, and now our world is broken, and it's a mess, and there's death, and this is why we die, and there's alienation from God and broken relationships. And so the result of this, if we fast forward to Genesis, uh, Romans chapter 3, which sums up, Uh, the doctrine of sin in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The Bible presents the picture that all of us are fallen, we are all sinners. It sums it up in Romans 3.23, the end of this long passage where it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the result is that we are all sinners. We inherited from Adam a broken world and death and a sin nature, 
And you say, well, it's all his fault then. It's not my fault. No, every day you confirm Adam's choice. You make the same choice as Eve because all have sinned and turned to their own way. When I was a kid, uh, cartoons only came on on Saturday morning, not around the clock like cartoon days now. Wow, what a great day to be a kid. So you had to get up early on Saturday morning. If you got up real early, before the cartoons was Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, these cowboy things. And you, could, you, you would watch these good guys and bad guys, and you could always tell who the good guys were because they wore white hats. And all the bad guys wore black hats. I'm, I'm serious. You, you've watched this. You know what I'm saying. You didn't have to wonder, are these the good guys or the bad guys? Oh, here come the bad guys. They've all got black hats on. Here's what the Bible says. We've all got black hats. No good guys. We're all sinners. We all wear the black hat. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now what you'll do, you'll recognize that really easily in other people. You recognize it easily in your husband, easily in your boss, easily in others. We see other people's sins far more clearly than ours. We think that other people are worse than we are. Their sin, we, we pretty much, Americans sort of got this idea we're all sinners. But we're not big sinners. Other people are big sinners. We're just little sinners. And we see clearly the, the fallenness of people around us. Can't believe she said that to me. Why did she, you know? We just see it so clearly. But we don't see our own sinfulness. And the Bible would have us to see you wear a black hat. There's no room for pride. There's a fall, that fallenness, that brokenness in your life, and we, we minimize our own sin and see clearly the sin of others. Let me show you what the Bible says about the extent, the magnitude of this sin problem in your life and my life in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, 9 unveils the extent, the magnitude of our sin problem. And it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Let me share with you three words that describe the depth of your sin problem. Number one, sin is internal. It's internal. The heart. It's a heart problem. You're not going to just change relationships and it's going to be better. You're not just going to read a self-help book or go to a counseling class and it's going to be better. You've got a deeper problem than that. It's internal. It's a heart problem. It goes deep in your life. And we've got, and you say, why are you talking so much about this bad news? Because if I today give, say to you, hey, I got a pill that will cure malaria, swallow it then you're not going to swallow it unless you think, I've got malaria, right? You're never going to appreciate the cure until you see the depth of the problem. And so, yes, the Bible is going to tell you some bad news here because you've got to see how serious this is. The heart is deceitful. The word deceitful is the word Jacob or Jacob. You know the story of Jacob? Man, he was a conniver, trickster. That's what his name means. Well, it says you're a Jacob. Your heart is Jacob. Your heart is a Jacob, a trickster, a deceitful person, a conniver, a swindler. Your heart is deceitful. And so uh, you're never just going to change your habits or your surroundings or your relationships 
and cure that. And second, it's not only internal, it's incurable. And beyond cure, you can't fix this with outer solutions. We've had a war on poverty in our politics. We've had a war on drugs. We still got poverty. We still got drugs. Oh, those, there may be some good things we can do, and we ought to do all the programs and things we can to fix things, but we're never going to fix it because it's incurable and internal. And finally, it's irrational. Who can understand it? You hear the last phrase? Irrational. Who can understand it? Can you explain the shooting in that synagogue to me? Can you explain acts of terrorism and what that, school shootings, what's this accomplished? It's irrational. Evil is irrational in our world. It doesn't respond to logic. We've got to have something deeper than logic because it's irrational what's going on in our world. And it's that depth of that sin problem in our lives. Augustine, in his book, Confessions, nobody writes a book called Confessions anymore, but in his book, Confessions, St. Augustine told about in his own life how one day he stole some pears from a neighbor's pear tree, an armload of pears, and ran away with them, then didn't know what to do with them, and dumped them to the pigs. And he, he, he talked about, why did I do that? Just for the joy of stealing? I didn't need an armload of pears. But you see, our sin is internal, incurable, and irrational. The implication of that is that you had, need to set some boundaries in your life. If you don't see the depths of your sin problem, there won't be boundaries. There needs some caution in your life. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, or, or chapter 10, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you underestimate the, the sin problem in your life, you put yourself in some positions you ought to be. Maybe, maybe you're sort of flirting with danger in your life. Maybe there's some boundaries that need to be established, some caution, because if you think, I got this, I, oh, he's got that terrible problem with that, I would never have a problem with that, then you need to read Jeremiah 17, 9 and 1 Corinthians 10, 12. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's incurable. Who can know it? 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says there that there needs to be some caution in your life, some boundaries in your life, because in your heart, that reality is true. What's the solution to our sin problem? Well, it's a radical solution. You see, this isn't going to respond to anything easy. Let me read to you this, the, the solution in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, as God gave Ezekiel insight into what he was going to do, and it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So our sin problem is a heart problem. It's deep. It's internal. What, how in the world are you going to fix that? No education, no project is going to do it. God says, I'll do a heart transplant. 
I'm going to go deep within you and change your nature, change your desires, give you a new wanter so that you want to do things differently than you do now, and then I'll put my Holy Spirit within you to enable you to do what you want to do. And so the solution for the sin problem is only coming to Jesus. In his words, he said the same thing when he said in John, you must be born again because your sin problem is so deep that it requires that heart surgery of Dr. Jesus to give you a heart transplant that you're a whole new person on the inside and he puts his spirit within you. And so I read to you the response that's required in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 where it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Maybe, you've den- maybe you have been in denial about your, the real needs in your life and you've tried to fix yourself and you've tried to move somewhere new and you've changed jobs and you've changed relationships and you... you The real root of your problems is not your boss or your spouse or or your neighbor. it's, It's you. It's you. And it's going to take a radical solution when you abandon your own efforts and say, I can't fix me. Jesus, would you fix me? And I repent. I turn from my sin. And I put my faith in you. And I ask you to cause me to be born again. Now, i got to share one more thing with you. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to come and be born again and repent of your sin. But I want you to know that's not the end of the struggle. Because the moment that you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you'll be saved from the penalty of sin. You will not go to hell. The spiritual death that resulted from Adam, the curse will be rolled back for you. But there'll still be the presence of sin because even though you'll have a new nature or a new heart, that old nature is going to hold on. So many of you here are are Christians. You've repented of your sin. You put your faith in Jesus. But you're still struggling with some sins, aren't you? And what you need to understand is that there's that spiritual battle and the same choice that you made initially to follow Jesus must be reaffirmed daily in your life. Because there's a civil war in you between that old nature which hopefully is shrinking and that new nature which hopefully is growing. And it is as you affirm the new nature, the new desires, the new heart, that you'll experience victory over sin. Let me read it to you in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and following. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So what he's saying here, there has to be that continual putting off of the old. I'm not that anymore. That's not who I am. It's still hanging on because even though I'm saved from the penalty of sin, I'm not yet saved from the presence of sin. That won't be until I'm glorified. And so I'm struggling with that. But you can have victory. The God who's given you a new heart, whatever you're dealing with right now, you can can overcome that. Not on your own, but by the power of the Spirit within you. If you'll reaffirm that new nature, you've got to put off some things and you've got to put on some things. And I'm putting off that old. 
and I'm putting on the new because this is who I am now. And I can be a different person. So I'm going to read to you in our, as we get ready for a, a time of invitation. I want to read to you Psalm 51. It's what David wrote after he'd committed adultery. It's a great model of confession and of acknowledgement of my sin problem. This is who I am. And maybe you're here and you're not a believer and you've tried other things and you could pray this prayer, repenting of your sin and ask Jesus to give you a new heart. Maybe you're a believer and you made that step, but you've, you've taken sin too lightly in your life. You've not set boundaries you've, uh, and, and you've not affirmed the new nature. You've let that old nature continue to be strong in your life and, and there needs to be a time of, of repentance for you and confession of sin. If you want to bow your head or whatever, I'm, I'm going to read Psalm 51. I invite you to say any of this to God that the Spirit leads you to say. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sins always before me. And against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that sacred place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create a new pure heart in me, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Oh God, this is our prayer through Jesus our Lord. Amen. I want to invite you to stand together with me. Today, maybe you need to confess your sins uh, and be baptized and... Uh, Become a believer. I'm going to invite you to do that publicly by walking forward and meeting me here. We ask you to do it publicly because that's how Jesus called people to be baptized as a witness to confess before him. So I invite you to walk forward. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. There'll be somebody glad to pray with you about sins in your life. Maybe you need a church home. We'd invite you to join this church family. Let's sing together. Everyone needs compassion. Love that's never failing Let mercy fall on me Everyone needs forgiveness The kindness of a Savior The hope of nations Savior, He can my God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave.
Take me as you find me, all my fears and failures, fill my life again, I give my life to follow everything I believe in, now I surrender, I surrender, you come now as we sing. Come now, Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the a moment more. We're going to give our offerings now and worship to God. If you have a guest card or a prayer card, you can place that in the offering plate as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in thy house. Lord, thank you for your salvation grace. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, uh, we ask forgiveness for those sins that we do that we shouldn't do, Lord. And Lord, we ask forgiveness for those sins that we should do that we don't do. Lord, help us to be examples for you as we go about this next week. And uh, Lord, we ask a blessing on this tithe, in Jesus' name. Thank you. 
I want to take a few minutes before we go today to tell you about some things uh, coming up, sort of give you an overview of what's ahead. Uh, we've got uh, three special events coming up this month. Next Sunday night is our church Thanksgiving dinner. That's a little earlier than we usually have done it, so I hope you'll plan to be a part of that next Sunday afternoon at 5 in the gym. Church furnishes the turkey and dressing and trimmings, and we ask you to bring a couple of dishes of sides or desserts, and we'll have a time of Thanksgiving together. It's a great time of fellowship. You can invite guests to come 5 o'clock next Sunday. hope you'll plan to be a part of that. The following Sunday on the 18th is a Gospel Roots concert where Trademark, Becky Buller Band, and the Fairfield Four will be at our church, and you have to have tickets to this event. They're on sale online or today in the parlor after the worship services. You could go by the parlor and buy your ticket uh, in person uh, for that. And then at the end of this month, November 30th and December 1st and 2nd, is our Music and Drama Ministries Christmas musical. So that's a little bit early too this year, so I want you to get that on your radar. And there are... um, uh, flyers, posters, and little invitations available at the Welcome Centers that you could invite people to come one of that Friday, Saturday, or Sunday evening at 6.30 at the end of the month. Now, I want to take a few moments to tell you about some things that we're doing to help people in the Christmas season. I know some of you don't like to think about Christmas this early, I understand, but we really need to think ahead a little bit so you can get it on your radar and plan. And so uh, some people are looking for, you know, Christmas can become very self-centered in the holidays, and it's just about us, and you want some way to help your family help others. And so I want to share with you five opportunities that we're providing in this season where you could help other people and maybe get your kids or others involved in helping others. And uh, you may not be able to do all of these, but we're going to give you the overview. You don't have to remember all five of these. They'll all be in the newsletter, all these dates, times, and things this week. So uh, look at the newsletter, but I want to get them out there, get them on your radar. Number one is Operation Christmas Child. You probably already know about that if you've been here the last couple of weeks. Pack a shoebox gift for a child. November 18th is the deadline to turn that in. Number two, uh, Angel Tree. These are children in the school system who need uh, help, and so you have opportunity to buy gifts for them. We'll have a tree up beginning November 25th in the foyer, and uh, you pull a tag off there. It has a certain child age and what, they're, what they need or whatever would like, and you bring those gifts back by December 9th. So that's a second opportunity you could get your family involved in helping. Number three is something new that we're doing this year. We had somebody give us uh, 75 to 85 cases of new toys. And so we want to give them to parents who may need help. So this is not for kids to come. This is a parent's free shopping event in our gym on December 8th from 9 to 11. So you know anyone who needs that kind of help. They don't have to register. They just show up. They don't bring their kids. This is just for parents. This is not a, an event where you could have your kids help with. I'll tell one of those in a minute. But, this is, but we need your help. So if you would like to help us to do this, either set up that, all of that, move all those 85 cases into the gym, unpack them on the 7th beginning at 3.30, or staff that. People come through. They have tickets. They can get an item that's one, two, or three tickets or whatever, and they can shop for their kids. Okay? We need help with that. If, if you'd like to help, there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. Number four. Or what are we on? Number four. Yeah, number four. So Christmas food boxes. One of our connection groups sponsors this, and they're doing 90 food boxes this year. 
some names come from some sources. If you know somebody needs a help, you can call the church office and add their name. This is a kid-friendly. This is where you could involve your kids. So you could give for a, shoe, uh, for a food box, or you can come help pack on December 14th, assemble those food boxes, or what they really need help is uh, delivering those, going to 90 homes the morning of December 15th at 8.30. You can bring your whole family. It's a way to get your family to see, hey, it's not just about us. It's about helping other people. Number five is our world missions offering. Between now and the end of December, our goal is to give $27,000 to world missions and this is our biggest offering of the year. Half of the support for all of our missionaries comes through this offering. Half comes through what you give week by week. Half comes through this offering. This is how this money will be used. Uh, this is our big emphasis you'll be hearing a lot about next month. So we just want to get all that out there. Would you think about that? Get that on your radar. So what, what would God want me to be involved in in this holiday season? Hope you'll be a part of that. We need some volunteers with some of those things. Thanks for coming today. Hope you'll stay for a connection group. Uh, if you're uh, new here for the first time, go to the Welcome Center right up this way, up the ramp. There'll be a, there's a greeter there now. They'll show you a list of groups, help you find the group of your choice. I'll be there as well. I have a free gift for, for a small gift for a first-time guest. I'd love to meet you. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Oh, Father, help us to see ourselves as you see us. And I pray today that as we leave, we have confessed our sin, turned from them, that we are right with you. And we may know, as David said, the joy of your salvation that has been restored to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Shine your light.